and uh, some people have a tongue training, amen, but we're not going to get on that today, amen. And, uh, but you can train all, but if you don't have the core, uh, you'll break down. Uh, but that's not just true physically, uh, that's true spiritually. And um, uh, there's a reason why this is a mother church, there's a reason why uh, these flags are here representing states and nations is because over the years, the last 30 plus, uh, close to 40 years, uh, this congregation from the very beginning, a handful of people, uh, have fought, and I've pastored here for a long time, and uh, assistant pastor, staff, pillars of the church, those in ministry, they fought to establish core convictions. And these are stronger than standards. Your convictions will hold you uh, in trials and temptation, uh, the demonic assaults of life. Uh, They're critical to your future. Uh, Marriage, uh, convictions about marriage. Redemption, we believe in redemption. Uh, We believe in altar calls. We were just talking here and uh, just had a funeral in Roy Sablowski's funeral. I think eight or nine people prayed. And he said, yeah, you give funerals. And you give all her calls your funerals, don't you, Pastor? And I said, yes. And he said, years ago, I went to my grandmother's funeral. And I got to speak. And I turned it to the pastor. So he'd give an altar call. But he didn't give one. Uh, but uh, everything we do, and, and we move through a number of things about core convictions. And last week, we began with vision. And we have a vision, and your vision is absolutely critical. I don't care if it's a, if it's a basketball team, if it's an NBA team, uh, uh, if it's a, uh, a nation, uh, military, uh, if it's uh, your, uh, have a company, your family. Vision is absolutely must be a core conviction of a congregation. You may be here pioneering with 15, 20 people. You must instill these core convictions if one day you're going to be a mother church, if you're going to make disciples, if you're going to survive the demonic assaults, winds and doctrines, the insanity of the religious world, you must have core convictions. And so in Proverbs 29, 18, uh, where there is no vision, O King James, no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And uh, another translation, they run naked in the street. And so uh, just to engage your mind, I know a number of you in from the field, uh, uh, but just what what is our vision, anybody? Pardon me? Okay, evangelism, discipleship, church planning, and missions. This is, everything we do flows out of this. I don't care if you're, if you're having a wedding shower, you ought to give an altar call. Amen. Give your testimonies. A baby shower. Um, uh, you're uh, over the years, you know, you're at the high school, you ought to stand up on the table and declare Jesus. Uh, but uh, 
this is critical. Uh, we believe and uh, we're not here to solicit people from other churches. We have people that come from other churches. We thank God for you. I came out of the assemblies many years ago. But our aim is conversions. That's the heartbeat. We want to see people born again. And out of that conversions, um, we have a vision, not just that they pray a prayer, but that they be trained, that they become disciples, that they become Christians. Uh, this means somewhere uh, in preaching and, and, and relationship and teaching and prayer and the Holy Ghost, uh, uh, come, uh, John said, come out from the world. Any man who loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Come out and be separate. Uh, and one of my uh, uh, heartbreaks is the church, and, and much of the church today is no different than the world. Why would anybody want to get saved? If they look at a Christian, and you're no different than I am. I've uh, had to discipline people here for various reasons over the years, uh, and, uh, for, and they go down the street uh, to a church, and they put them on the platform the next service. Put them in some kind of ministry, the next service. Have no standards. They have no convictions about uh, the uh, ministry. Uh, and so we want to see people saved. Uh, and, and my aim is not just to pray an emotional prayer, but that you become a child of God. And somewhere you find your place in the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, the ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And as you find your place, a member of the body of Jesus Christ, you find your place in the church, you begin to grow. And then out of that, there's disciples. And out of disciples, there's calling. And, and, and part of the ministry is that you find your calling. God didn't save you just for you to, uh, you know, like an insurance policy. You get older, you think about insurance policies, you know, and death benefits and all that kind of stuff. I get these letters and emails and stuff. Have you made your arrangements? And so that'll, that'll make you pray and get a hold of God, amen, when you get a hold of those. <laughs> and, uh, but it's not just a, a policy that you, you uh, Jesus paid the price, you prayed a prayer, and so you put it in a drawer somewhere, and one day you die, you're going to reach in that drawer, pull out, here's my policy, I'm going into heaven. No, 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 no. It's you're born again for a purpose. God has a plan for each of you. And in the church, you should be able to find that purpose and plan. And out of that comes discipleship. Uh, men feel the stir to, to preach the gospel. Uh, they want to preach. They want to pastor. They want to evangelize. They want to be missionaries. And that's, but it all begins with a heart for people and souls. You want to see them converted. Genuine conversion. Not just joiners. Not just, well, this be good for my children so I'll come. And if that's why you're here, then glory to God, that's okay. But we're going to try to convict you to conversion. Amen. I'm, I'll never forget in, in India a number of years ago, uh, this national, I read this article, this national pastor was there, and he said the tragedy for many years, the missionaries came, 
And they taught us how to farm, so we ate better. Uh, they uh, built hospitals, so we lived longer. And uh, they educated us, and so we had a better life, but we died and we all went to hell anyway. We were just better fed, healthier, and lived longer and still went to hell because they didn't, they didn't present the gospel. And I'm not saying everyone, but that's a diversion. Uh, this is our aim. That's why we street preach. Uh, that's, that's why we witness. That's why we have outreaches. That's why these young men do a little crusades in the park or show a video or do a Bible study um, because we're after convert souls. That's our vision. And so, uh, uh, and so I want to, uh, we kind of worked through a few things last week, and so uh, this, is, this is critical. And you're, uh, so what's so attractive about a vision? What, what are we talking about when we, let, let's get into this a little bit more. Anybody else, uh, what are we talking about in this, Benny? What, what, what's, what does this do? I mean, what, what's the, <clears throat> go ahead. Uh, is it mic on? Hand him that mic. Turn it on. In my personal life, Pastor, what vision has done for me, this is a guy who's, if you guys don't notice, I've eaten a little bit more food than I probably should have most of my life. All right, I'm a big dude, okay? What I've battled is, is with my flesh since I was a kid, right? What vision has done in my life here in Chandler is that it's helped me harness my flesh, helped me harness the things, my appetites, the love for football, the love for entertainment, the love for this or that. And, and it's basically my biggest investment in my whole life for the last 15 years has been discipleship, uh, evangelism, and church planning, and missions. Financially, I've sacrificed. Uh, not, not saying that I'm above everybody else, it's just that's the truth. I've bought into this. And so what vision has done for me is helped me arrange my life. And I've struggled, and you know my struggle, pastors. Yeah, yeah. But has helped me arrange my life to be a part of something that actually that matters to people or matters to God, which is the souls of people. Okay, so your vision, a congregation's vision, has to be greater than just your own pursuit in life. Uh, you're going to give yourself to something in life. I don't, you, you, some of you gave yourself to the streets, drugs, whatever. You're going to give yourself to something. Uh, some of you gave yourself, you know, and these aren't all evil, but you're going to give yourself to something in life. When I was a kid, I loved basketball. It was my vision. And I can remember in East Chicago, Indiana, and uh, we would have practice. The last hour of the day was uh, called it 19B. And that was gym. It started like at 2.30. We practiced till 6, 5.30 or 6. And on the way home, we would get in pickup games. Outside, had some lights. And it's so cold, your fingertips would crack, bouncing the ball. Uh, East Chicago, winter wintertime. And so I can remember playing. We'd shovel the snow off and play. I had a vision for it. Uh, I don't care how early it was, how late it was, and that drove me. Well, the same with God. You've got to have a vision of what does God want you to do? Where are you going to be five years from now? In Christ. What are you going to do for God? 
And that vision, see, begins to, as, as Benny said, it harnesses the flesh. Uh, you won't waste all your money on stupid stuff if a vision's really got a hold of your heart. Amen. You know, I, you know uh, $300 pair of sunglasses, and some of you live in places you don't even need it. Sun never shines. Here, here we, can, we can say we need them. Amen. Uh, but but uh, uh, when it comes to God, it's $1.25, you know. Uh, that's no vision. So vision harnesses the flesh. Uh, George, you have your hand up or no? And then Bill. It impassions you and empowers you. It drives you. Like he said, it causes you to rearrange your life to align with that, that heavenly purpose. You know, and, and like when I first got saved, I was, I was going to school to be an engineer. But I was so gripped with the, you know, wanting to, to, to be saved and to be a part of this and to, and to see soul saved that I sacrificed a career in engineering to be available for outreach and for, you know, everything that was, was out there, you know, to make myself available for ministry so that the church could grow, so that the vision could grow, so that, so that what we did could be more effective. And, you know, sometimes I look back and the devil wants to say, look, at well, you could be making all the kinds of money, and I could have been. But then at the back of conference, I stand there every yeah. year, and I look at the sea of souls, and I think, what a great reward. Yeah, yeah great, great is reward. your reward in great heaven. Reward. Great is your reward in heaven. And somewhere, you have to connect with eternity. Listen to me. Somewhere in your salvation, you have to connect with eternity. Life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Somewhere you have to connect. Our vision uh, is anchored in eternity. And I guarantee you, you take nothing with you. I guarantee you. Uh, Bill? Uh, yeah, I can remember before I got saved, I went to a ne number of churches, all types of them. Never stayed very long because there was never a purpose, never nothing Nothing to keep me motivated, but then when I got saved into this church, and I seen that this, what kind of a vision that this church has, it gave me a purpose. Now I have a purpose in this church. I, I have a, a reason to want to do things in this church. I, I, want, I can't imagine anybody being in the church and not wanting to do something here. Yeah. I really yeah. cannot imagine that because what, I mean, it's kind of like we just want to come in and sit for an hour and leave and go home and come yeah. back next Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, it's been, it's been not only for me, for the church, but also for my family, for my friends uh, around me because I can instill that same thing to them. They see me, and they know who I am. Yeah. And, and thank God for that, and thank God for this church and the, and the vision of this church. And, and so except a man forsake all that he has, Jesus said he cannot be my disciple. And it doesn't mean these things are always, I'm not talking about everything's evil. I, and every, and p different people have different calling, different roles. I understand that. Different places in, in the body and in the kingdom. Uh, I got saved and, uh, uh, and uh, I knew I was called to preach. And I can remember uh, I, went, I left a, a telephone industry. They offered me a supervisor of Southern Illinois, a bonus, all kinds of stuff. And I went $25.00. And lived in the church attic. And, and lived by faith, basically. 
But, but my point was, it wasn't this big, what are we going to do, Connie? I, I mean, I couldn't wait to do it. That's what vision does. Vision inspires you. Vision stirs you. It's not like, oh, this, mat, you know, oh, that, what a sacrifice. It wasn't a sacrifice at all. It was a joy. I couldn't wait to see what God was going to do. But, but vision, see, is critical. Uh, it harnesses your talent, your time, your mind, your money, uh, y- your energy. It harnesses that for God. That's what vision does. And, and, and you, you watch over the years. You watch people who get in ministry. There's people here been in ministry forever. Amen. They're, um, uh, and and uh, they, they've been faithful to that ministry, served in that ministry. We could talk about ushers and children's church, people on the platform, nursery, people serving, uh, loving people, uh, on and on and on and on and on it goes. But that's because, and, and these people, a lot of these people, they're not out there on the field. But they have a vision to see other people out on the field. And so the vision, see, is indoctrinated and ingrained in a congregation. I said many, many years ago, um, and, and uh, even way back, like I said, in the Assemblies of God, uh, they were big on car washes and everything and all that. I said, I'm not going to give my life for a car wash. <laughs> and uh, they're not evil in them. So I'm not going to give my life for a car wash. And I know the kids sometimes do that. But I'm not going to lay down my life for a car wash. Come on. If I'm going to give my life, I'm going to for the souls of men and women and nations and countries and et cetera. And so over here, did we have Pastor Keith. Good to have you home. Amen. Amanda. So, Pastor, after. Um, you're right. You're in your same spot. Hey, yeah. He come home. They came home like a homing pigeon. Yeah. Landed yeah. in their same seat. So vision is, is what you've always uh, told me. I mean, it's one of the biggest thing that you've ingrained. I've heard this for years. And this, even into my own lifestyle, made me a better parent because now I could uh, build these things into my kids and how they grow up. But it's, it's, it's amazing that when you get the concept of vision and know that we have a purpose uh, to be here and, and it's God's plan, it's not our own. And that's where all of it uh, leads up to, what God is going to do uh, with our life and where we can go with that. And so, I mean, one of the things I remember is Helen Keller. Here's a, a woman that could not see. And she said the tragedy is having sight but no vision. Yeah, yeah. And this lady published 12 books, yeah. not being able to hear or see. And the reason why she, she was able to do that is because she had a purpose and plan and knew it led to something greater. It, um, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your life, you don't own it. I know you think you do, but listen. It's, if you're born again, your life has been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, and so vision, see, is, is this, as, as Keith said, instill it in your children, uh, your family, your a congregation, uh, uh, because this carries you in life. This, what, th- this is going to motivate you. This is what you're going to give yourself to. This will, uh, and, and so let's, let's um, uh, I got some scriptures here, but I want to uh, ask you a question. So, 
So what are some, why is it, it's one thing for me to get up here and declare a vision. It's one thing to start with a vision. Why, what are some of the assaults and why is it difficult to maintain that over the long haul? That's true personally and that's true as a church. What, what are some of the demonic assaults? What are some of the strategies of hell that will try to rob your vision? Pastor Rosario. Well, one of the challenges when you go out and you, know, you pastor, you're, you're no longer under the microscope, so to speak. Um, and one of the things that will happen is that you'll be challenged by other people that will come into your church who have different ideas on how, to, how you should be building your church what you should be preaching, what you should be doing. And so I think one of the, the dangers that you're saying is, is that a lot of the times uh, you're challenged in what we believe, discipleship, evangelism, church planning, missions, and to uphold the convictions that we have uh, sometimes, you know, seem very high, you know. I mean, they're biblical, but they seem very high to the religious world. And so the religious world, those people will come and they'll try, you know, they'll try to, manipulate you or tell you, you know, hey, lower down your convictions. You'll have more people here. And so you, everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to do something for God. But, you know, uh, we can't do it by those means. So you're asking what, what the danger is. The danger is, is that if we want to be accepted and we want to be like the majority, which, you know, the religious world is filled with that, well, then just lower your convictions, lower your standards, and you can be like them. But that's not what we do. So... Yeah, and, and we fought that over the years. We fought that. I've had people come in. I had groups of people come in a few different times. And Pastor Campbell, we love your sermons. If you just wouldn't get built, if you just wouldn't be so straight up in your altar call. <laughs> and or, or uh, uh, we love but those standards. Well, well, those standards. We could really be a blessing here, but those standards. But what they don't understand, you, you begin to unravel those and you don't have disciples. And you don't have, you don't plant churches. Uh, uh, and, and, and hell will peel it off. Hell won't just come and say, ah, that's, I mean, I, you could go to practically any preacher in America probably and give some kind of mission statement and they agree with you. I know it's biblical, going to all the world. But, but the way it comes is, is, is I've had people come here before. I've talked to pastors from other, they've come and, and they come, or I've met them on the foreign field, and I've had them come in here. And I wouldn't have this, but they see what we're doing outside and stuff. And, and uh, they, they said, oh, man, if we could do that. We would want to be a part of that. We want to do that. And, but they, they don't want to pay the price. A vision will cost you your life. And anything of any value has cost. Anything worth dying for has cost. Anything that's going to last must have standards associated with it. And we have standards for ministry. Qualifications for ministry. And uh, these have to do with moral. They have to do with faithfulness. They have to do with money. And uh, and. I've had to fight for that over the years. And, and I, I remember, I, weddings, we give all our calls at weddings. You can go to a thousand Christian weddings and never see an, see an altar call. But we do. 
and Bill. And then I, Paul, did you have your hand up? Yeah, another one of the things that the devil comes against us are usually the finances in the church. And I can remember when the years when uh, people all lost their jobs, things are really tight. But, you know, we never skipped a beat in this church because you had faith, and I hope the rest of us all had faith that we were able to continue to do the things we were going to do. Yeah, it, um, uh, and everything you do for God of, of any magnitude demands faith. It demands faith. And, and, and to not believe God is an assault against uh, he is able. And so, uh, uh, but, but there's some other, other things here. One, that you have to survive uh, for any vision. Uh, you have to serve. Everything's not going to be a success. And, and you're going you're gonna to have, your vision has to be greater and more real to you than failures, setbacks, betrayals. Uh, and 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 you have this. This has to. This has to. And it has to be all the way down. Wait till Thursday night, and uh, tell you how much these kids raise for missions. And I'll probably read this letter from these two brothers. I think they're seven and eight years old. My Lord Jesus. Made me want to weep when I read it. Here's seven and eight year old brother. Already got a vision for missions in our children's church. So, uh, so your vision uh, uh, is critical. I hope you understand that. And we're after the souls of men and women in the nations of the earth. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, someone get for me in, in Genesis, um, uh, let's look there, Genesis 13, who will get for me verse number 7, Genesis 13, verse number 7, uh, Daniel, Genesis 13, verse 14, who will get that for me, Bill, uh, Angel, uh, Genesis 13, uh, 16 through 18, and uh, so let's, um, uh, here is the contrast of life, see, here's Abraham, and here is Lot, they, they, they're related, they've traveled together, and they come to a place in life. There are critical moments in your life. There are critical decision-making moments in your life that tip destiny and your future. And every decision in life is not like this, but there are those that are critical. I've had a handful of these over the last 40 years. Critical decisions. And, and vision at that, at that point, your vision, your relationship with God, all of that begins to play out. So let's just take a quick look here. Uh, Genesis um, in uh, chapter 13, verse 7. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Persites then dwelt in the land. Okay, here's strife. That's why God hates strife. I pray constantly against strife, discord, envy, and jealousy in the church and among God's people. But here, uh, blessing, 
brought a conflict. This is very interesting in life. Uh, when you begin to prosper, when you begin to succeed, uh, you begin to multiply. No problem when you had nothing. No problem many times when you were struggling. This is true of churches, true of marriages, uh, true of ministry. But now there's fruitfulness, there's blessing, and now there's jealousy and conflict. And so mark this down somewhere. As you begin to live for God, if you'll live for God, somewhere God will begin to multiply you. God will bless you. God will begin to help you. And behind that, though, if you're not careful, there's going to be a conflict can be a conflict of vision. Uh, there's going to enter, it'd be a conflict of, of your commitment. Uh, and, and the world will try to bleed off your vision. And life will try to bleed off your vision for God, especially over time. And so here's this conflict begins to arise uh, between Lot's herdsmen and all of this. So uh, verse number 10. Genesis 13, 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, of the Lord like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zion. Okay, go ahead and read the next verse. And then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Adam dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, pitched his tent, even as far as Sodom. Okay, the problem was his vision. Now, there's, there's, a, there's this critical point in destiny. He lifts up his eyes, and he didn't see God. He didn't see converts. Uh, he didn't see, he's going to sacrifice his family now, and he, not intentionally. But you will always follow vision. It's the nature of life. You're going to follow your vision. As we said earlier in different men, it compels you, it motivates you, it captures you. And so here he is, uh, he's following his vision. And he saw the material world. And remember, the conflict was with herds. And so this is a natural, it's like the Garden of Eden. This is a natural. There's, there's, there's uh, land, there's, there's uh, grass, uh, there's water. And, but the problem is many times it was by Sodom. And so Jesus, uh, what happened to Jesus? Tell me about the temptation to Jesus. It's similar to this. George? Jesus has gone to, to fast, and the devil, devil comes at his weakest point and says, if you'll bow down before me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He says, okay. you know, turn these stones into bread, you know, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Nobody's. Yeah. He goes through all these different scenarios about 
if you'll just bow down, if you'll sacrifice, if you'll compromise, I'll give you what your flesh desires. Yeah. And so one of well, out of the temptations, you can do your own study, but one of them had to do a hotline to the flesh. He's, he's fasting, 40, turn the stone. And the other had to do with the glory of this world, the, the honor of this world, the accolades of this world, the acceptance, the applause of this world, and the approval of this world. And these are the, and so here Lot, see, uh, he, he sees uh, the material world and he makes a decision. But the Bible doesn't leave out that it's, and I don't think it all happened in a day. It didn't happen in a minute. Uh, but eventually he moved into Sodom. And, and um, uh, his, his testimony um, Later, the angels of the Lord came and said, look, we're going to destroy Sodom. And he told his family, and they thought he was joking. His testimony had so decayed, they, they, they thought he was just playing around. They didn't take him serious. And his family, his wife was lost, uh, children, his two daughters had the spirit of Sodom on them. They seduced their own dad, produced two tribes that are a curse to Israel today. All of this he came out of, but, but it, I, I don't think he planned that. He didn't intend that, but hell, hell will give you a vision. And, and see, again, this, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, he, hey, man, this is fantastic. We can grow a weed field here. This is some Jamaica Gons or Acapulco Gold or something. We, I mean, we, this is going to be fantastic. It wasn't that at all. It was his flocks and herds and et cetera, uh, Pastor Fouts. You know, it's uh, very interesting when you look at the temptation of Jesus and you go back to the temptation, the original in the garden. Um, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden and God told them to be fruitful and multiply. Hell came, and Satan came with the same exact strategy he came to Jesus with. He twisted God's word and then he offered them lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the, and the pride of life. And what was supposed to be be fruitful and multiply turned into killing, turned into murder, turned into hiding, turned into all kinds of other things because they, they bought into the exact temptation that then Satan uses again on Jesus. Jesus obviously overcomes it, but he overcomes it, you know, by, by knowing the word of God, he, he combats Satan with that. But at the end of the day, it's always the same thing. The vision is to be fruitful and multiply, and hell brings the same thing over and over and over again. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, uh, appease your flesh, be known in the world, all these different promises, different things. At the end of the day, it always brings the same outcome, even with Lot that you're talking about here. Family lost, everything's, everything's destroyed, and then you end up being a, becoming a person that you never imagined you'd become because it's a lie. And it's the same strategy from the very beginning of time all the way down and still existing today. Amen. And so uh, 13, uh, verse 14, let's look at Abraham. Abraham, And, the Lord, and the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Okay. Uh, did I give someone 16? Go ahead. And I will make your descendants as the, as the dust of the earth, so that if any man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, 
for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees in Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Okay, watch the difference. Watch the difference. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. He saw what God saw for him. Let me ask you, what's your vision? Do you see what God sees for you? Or do you see what you see for you? He saw what God saw for him. And he built an altar. No record that Lot ever built an altar. But Abraham constantly built altars. Constantly built altars. And so what is your vision? And, 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 and because it'll, it, you work. Uh, I know numbers of different pastors here and Pioneer Works and stuff. Listen, if you're going to build a church, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to outreach, 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 outreach. And we pioneered a number of churches. Me, Connie, the kids, we outreached, outreached, outreached. Got horror stories and all kind of stuff. Run off of parking lots, caught in rainstorms. And, and uh, I mean, it's unending. But uh, everywhere we went, uh, by the grace of God, uh, there was a church that would begin to flourish. But you got, it's work. And, but this, this vision will motivate you. What's, what's your vision for? What, what are you working for? What are you laboring for? What moves you? What motivates you? What do you talk about? What stirs you up? What gets you excited? And somewhere, uh, God has to be a part of that. And every pastor, you have to preach that into your people. And you have to, have to stir and motivate. And, and it, it's not, he, and you got to fight for it. So what else? Anything else on, on, on demonic strategies against vision? Yes. What I've encountered in, in my life is that uh, is that uh, the devil's strategy would be to to deceive us that in our in our outreach and in our lives that we're not having impact, that we're not being influenced. And that, okay. Like in the world, uh, in the world today is like, what's your influence, or what we, or what are we being influenced by? So like we would turn that around, and you know how we're not able to make influence or make disciples. Okay, and so what he's saying is one of the uh, strategies of hell is that you're not making any difference. It's not working. One of, the, one of the difficulties of life is you go out with vision, you go out with passion, you're laboring, this, that, and it's not working. And then here's some uh, uh, religious church or whatever down the street, and their uh, parking lot's fill, filled with cars and people. And all of a sudden you get these... Uh, I remember one time in Phoenix, we're, we're pioneering, uh, we're, we're handed out all kinds of flyers, man, and it, uh, and uh, uh, I was preaching at the high schools, it was four high schools around, uh, the Mormons had come down and graffitied our building, 
hit me with a rotten grapefruit. Man blindsided me with a rotten grapefruit a couple of times. And so it wasn't a good time. And so we're there one Sunday morning, me and Connie and the kids, you know, and, and we're trying to get people and, you know, and all of a sudden this huge crowd outside. This is parking lot across the street. And I said, what is, what's happening? Look, look at this. And this big old hot air balloon landed right in the parking lot with Budweiser all over it. And a whole neighborhood had come out to see this hot air balloon. And the devil said, say, I can draw a crowd anytime I want to. <laughs> had a witch next door. I'm a real witch. And I remember she's out there and, and she caught me and she said uh, something like, I've cursed this church. It'll never grow. Every pastor ever comes here. Nothing happens. And I rebuked her and began to scream at her. And, and uh, the, uh, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And, uh, uh, and uh, I think at eight months, uh, we had about 50 people. And, uh, but anyway, um, uh, we're going to have a great week. Uh, be in prayer. Lay hold of God. God has a destiny. God has a plan. God has a purpose for every one of you. You may be a new convert. You may have a history of failure. You may have a history of, of, of bad decisions, craziness. I, you, you know, but I'm telling you, when you get saved, God, God, and you just, everywhere you surrender to God, you become powerful. Everywhere, and I'm this week, God's going to deal with you. And you surrender to God. Everywhere you surrender to God, you become powerful. I just preached two sermons to all the husbands here. They're $800 a sermon if you're a visitor. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm working on one on the ladies after a conference. And... Um, you know where you get the word cosmetic from, ladies? How many, how many ladies here like cosmetics? Come on, that's all right. It's okay. Sure you do. I, I see your finger. You know where you get the word cosmetic from? I'm just, I'm just wetting your appetite. So all the men will have your wife here after conference. You know, you know where you get the word cosmetic from? Submission. You submit to your husband, you become beautiful. Amen. <laughs> Lord bless you. Hallelujah. <laughs>